0: You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Morning, Orion. So if we haven't met, my name is Craig. I just get to be a part of an incredible team here at Orion, and a couple things I would love to just let you know about uh, before we get into the rest of the morning Um, by way of announcement, some a little personal to us and some a little bit broader. So uh, we'll start personal. If you haven't noticed yet, we have been under construction on two big projects here at our campus. One is the outdoor green space. We're finally gonna get rid of all of the cement and a little bit of it at least and create some space to gather and be outside together. The other is an indoor playscape area that we're creating for our kids. Both of these though, we've been saying all the way along, These are not just for us. We are creating these spaces to become places for us to continue to love and serve our community. So there's already ways that we are working to let that outdoor space be used to serve the greater Orient area. And the indoor space, we want you to catch a vision for how that can be used more than just for us on a Sunday morning as well. For example... What if you have some friends that you wanted to get to church, you wanted to expose to what this community is, and you're like, I don't know if they're going to come on a Sunday morning, but what if you threw a birthday party and you used that space for it? So here's part of what we're going to do to help encourage just that vision growing in our heads. We're doing a raffle right now that you can participate in. It's right by the K Kids check-in, so if you go directly behind this room... And put your name in a ticket, put the ticket in the bucket. We're going to draw on the day that that thing is open and officially ready to use, which is only a couple of weeks away. And whoever wins in that raffle is going to win a birthday party funded fully by us for up to 20 people. So we'd love to have you participate in that. But more than participate is to continue to catch the vision for how our space here can and must be used for more than just serving our own needs. Second, to let you know about, uh, and this is actually, I think, in many ways even cooler, is uh, we have created a local partnership with an organization called the Resiliency Center, the Oxford Resiliency Center. This is an organization that is really in response to uh, the shooting that happened at the high school last year. And this is a government-funded organization and group of therapists, counselors, people that are there on call and available all the time to serve the needs of Any and everyone that's been affected by that event, whether it's students, first responders, parents, anyone that's been affected. And so we've been trying to figure out how do we form a partnership and really support what they're doing and continue to be a part of just championing the efforts to care for our community, particularly the Oxford community. And one of the things that the grant from the government does not fund for that is food. And you all know like I do, nothing makes you relax a little bit more, creates a better comfort in an environment than a little bit of food, especially when you're coming in stressed, when you're coming in arms crossed, when you're coming in anxious. And so we feel like we can take that on. Like We can stock this place with enough food and enough treats to make sure that they don't have to ask again. So here's what we're gonna ask you to do. If you would just take a picture of that QR code, that's gonna take you to a link that's gonna show you all the supplies at this present moment that are being asked to be donated. And if you would get some of those supplies and donate them in, you can drop them off right here any day of the week, Sunday or the rest of the week. You can drop them off right here at the building, out at the hub, you'll see even a sign out there. You can just pile it up out there, and we'll take care of taking it, getting it there, helping make sure that it's stocked and ready. So just a couple of great opportunities again, right here at our campus, right here in our community that we can continue to serve. One more that I wanna let you know about as well that is a little bit more national, obviously we've all been watching what's happened in Florida in the last week uh, with Hurricane Irma. One of the incredible things about Kensington is the move out team that we have led by Becky Lee here that is a team of people in multiple arenas that are constantly on the go and at the ready to serve our community, locally, nationally, even broader. And so we already have boots on the ground in Florida with our move out team called DRAW. So I just wanna give you a minute. This is actually the leader of that team on the ground. Check it out. Hey Kensington, this is Greg Martin with DRAW, our disaster relief at work. I just wanted to say a quick thank you because of your support and help DRAW was able to respond to Hurricane Ian and provide relief supplies for more than 2,000 Ian victims in South Florida. We did that in the first 48 hours and we're not done yet. If you want to continue to support, you can do that by following us at drawbuckets.org or go to the Move Out Network. We can use volunteers here in Michigan. We need your help in our Michigan warehouse to prep for the next loads that we're going to send. And if you're interested in serving on the ground in Florida after Hurricane Ian, you can reach out to us at our website. Uh, We're putting teams together now to start uh, next Wednesday and for the next couple weeks to help with the cleanup efforts and help people get back toward normalcy, providing a little love in the middle of a hard time. So this is Becky Lee, and I asked Becky, who leads our move out here, to just kind of give us some of the details of what we need to know and what we can do.
1: Yeah, you all heard from Greg. He leads an amazing organization. And as he said, they were able to be on the ground in Fort Myers delivering the first truckload of emergency relief supplies. By Thursday and by Friday, because of our partnership with DRAW, Kensington was able to swiftly respond and support those efforts um, due to the generosity of so many of you. So, out of our disaster relief fund. And it is such a privilege. Like, I had so many of you who call Orient Campus home, who call Kensington home, who reached out to say, How can we help? We want to get a truck. We want to. And that is one of the benefits of partnering with Greg because DRAW just works so hard to build these rooted relationships in the impacted areas and they come alongside churches and organizations and support what their real needs are. And that allows those churches and organizations to kind of be the hero in the story, which is really beautiful. Um, So as you heard him say, there's two ways that you can come alongside the work that they are doing. Uh, They're gonna probably land in Punta Gorda uh, to do their ongoing relief work. Uh, So we need volunteers at the warehouse. Uh, You could actually uh, scan that QR code that takes you directly to the Move Out Network uh, to click on the draw team. We'll get you information, so volunteering in the warehouse or actually signing up to be part of a short-term relief trip. They're hoping to have teams on the ground as early as Wednesday. Um, I'll be out at the Hub, so if you want to stop by and any questions, I'd uh, love to talk to you.
0: Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Becky. I just love it, too. Like she said, like whenever there's anything that happens, not even locally, around our world, like we get calls within hours. What are we doing? What are you guys doing? How can we respond? And I just love that about the heart of our community, about your heart that it's always ready to respond. So we're gonna move into our worship now. And this is, here's what, if like, I I don't know where you're all at, obviously. I wish I could know everybody and have a minute to sit down and hear your story. And I know some of you, like church is a regular part of your rhythm. Some of you, it's a very brand new part of your rhythm. For some of you, you're like toe back in the water again after a while. Like these moments matter to us where we, like Matthias, who's usually here on a Sunday today, we've got Bella here leading us. Like these moments, when you're invited into a moment of worship, here's what that is. It is a moment that you're invited into the reality and the awareness that our God, no matter what happens around us, reigns over all of it. So I'm gonna hand it over to Bella and the team. Revelation
2: 5 says who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it and then fast forwarding to verse 12 says worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. So this morning, I'm inviting you to stand with us or um, if you want to, you can stay sitting however worship looks like to you this morning, but I'm inviting you to step out of what's familiar to kind of get into a new a new group with the Lord, <laughs> to worship freely, to have true and authentic worship that is given to Him so that could look like raising your hands or dancing, jumping, What literally whatever it looks like to you. I'm inviting you to step out of what you're familiar with and to do what the Lord is worthy of and deserving of, which is not us being comfortable or being worried about what everyone is saying, oh my gosh, like I'm looking a little weird. I do that sometimes and I'm a worship leader, but the Lord is so worthy and deserving of all of our praise and all of our worship. So this morning, I just invite you to give him all of your love and adoration. Something so powerful that happens when we tell our bodies that we're gonna worship him. So if you're comfortable, just raise your hands and sing this last this last time.
0: Found in human appearance, Jesus as a man humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God I just want to pray right now and acknowledge you your presence with us your presence over all things acknowledge what we just sang that there is no more beautiful name than the name of Jesus thank you for your pursuit of us thank you for your affection over us Thank you for your unending grace. Thank you for your steadfast strength when everything around us falls apart. Thank you for your steadfast love when we fall apart. Thank you that you can transcend. After 2,000 years of stepping off of this earth, you still transcend through time and space and doubt and disbelief and struggle and fear and all of it and present yourself to us that we would be convinced and compelled to know that there is a God over heaven and earth and that you are him that is a work that you have done not us and so we just say to the beautiful name of Jesus thank you Would you be so present this morning, God? Would you speak? Would you be heard? Would you help us to understand more about you by the time we're done at the end of the day than we understood when we walked in the doors? As Paul once wrote, that we are transformed from one degree to the next. So this morning, push us a degree, God. Just one degree further. From wherever we're at now, that we would continue to have drawn from our lips more and more, the beautiful name of Jesus this next bit of time is yours as has been this whole day so own us, own it in Jesus name, amen so here's what I'd love to have you do for just a quick second just turn to somebody near you and just say good morning and uh, tell tell them what's been the best part of your fall so far go ahead if you're online with us watching right now, put it in the chat. We'd love to know. Let us know what's been the best part of your fall so far. <clears> oh, <throat> <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you, <laughs> football. Mm, There you go. No, it's bow season. Hasn't been the best part yet because opening day was yesterday. And as you can plainly see, I am not in a tree this morning. Although I did have to put my phone on silence because it is blowing up all morning with my buddies sending me pictures of what they're seeing in the woods. So uh, I guess, what do they say? Better to be in the woods thinking about church than in church thinking about being in the woods. So I don't know what that means for me this morning. Best part of my fall so far, really quick, personal note. Uh, some of you may have seen this online if you're on Facebook with me. Uh, our son got engaged. Uh, Tobin proposed to his girlfriend a couple weeks ago. And we're super thrilled that Bella, who just led us, is our future daughter in law to be. So, pretty awesome. I don't know how he did that. Boy is marrying up, up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Jeez. All right, we have a lot of work that we have to do today, and I'm gonna try and honor our time and get us out of here at a reasonable hour. Uh, but this is, this is one of those kind of series that has the potential to do so much for us this morning. Um, so let me get right into it. Here, here's a verse that I, I feel like was written by uh, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, disciples. He was even among the 12 disciples. Some of you know this, he was in the group of three that was his closest companions. Uh, Peter was uh, a knucklehead most of the time, was constantly battling his own pride, his own agenda, and yet journeyed closer and closer and closer to the heart of God to the point that even though there were times that Jesus had to strongly get in his face, even at one point calling him Satan, he's like, get behind me, Satan. In other words, you are not about the things I'm about. Uh, This is a guy that ended up being the rock that Jesus calls him. He launches the movement of the church through him. Peter gives his life for his belief that Jesus is not only Lord of creation, but was, in fact, resurrected from the dead. And when he was told to recant that, he said, no, they were going to crucify him. He said, you know, I'm not even worthy to be crucified in the same manner as my Savior. And uh, history tells us that he was crucified upside down as a result. So Peter writes these words in one of his letters. Like newborn babes, craves pure spiritual milk so that by it you may, just say the next two words, Grow up in your salvation. You guys are getting ahead of me here. Swipe back. No? There you go. Okay. Uh, Grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God. Now here's what's interesting. Here's where we all get pulled in. Watch this. Now you can go. And precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I have two words that will define my hope and desire for the next five weeks of this series. Those words are growth, spurt. That we as a community of people, individuals, and as Peter said, even being built up as the house of God, that we would find ourselves going through a growth spurt. When our son Tobin was born in 2003, uh, he said, some of you are going to put that math together. You're like, that boy just got engaged young. Yes, he did. When he was born, he was about 24 hours old when the doctors came rushing in and let us know that there was something that didn't sound right in his chest, which is brand new parents. You don't want to find out that your infant son has any issues, but when you start to hear that it's a heart issue, that will freak you out real quick. So they found out very fast that he had a condition called VSD, ventricular septal defect, and he had not just one hole in his heart, but he had upwards of eight holes in his heart that he was born with, um, which put us into a panic because we were told to the question, what does that mean? Uh, It could mean anything from nothing, that we'll just have to monitor this the rest of his life, or he'll need open heart surgery. We're like, oh, well, that's not good. So we went through a series of tests and exams, and they was like, okay, go home, let's just watch it. And the number one thing we were told to watch for was growth. You've got all those charts when you're a baby, you've got to kind of meet all the growth trends. And at, I think it was, my wife will correct me, Nicole, I think it was like a month old, we took him in for his checkup, somewhere right around there, and he wasn't meeting his growth. A matter of fact, he hadn't really grown at all. And so at his pediatrician's office, they kind of freaked out, and that threw us into a freak out. and then they rushed us to the hospital. Cardiologist comes in, and his cardiologist kind of calms the whole situation down. He's like, listen, he's a month old. It's okay right now. Let's just keep monitoring him. Now, thankfully, over the years, we just had to go in for regular checkups, monitoring, stress exams, and all that kind of stuff, and halters, and he's never had any issue from it. And today, that boy is 6 feet 2 inches tall. But I will tell you, the first time that he finally started to grow... Like the relief that that created for us as parents because we had been like so assured that if he doesn't start to grow, that's a sign that this heart thing is a big problem. So the first time he had any kind of growth spurt, it was like we were moving past that era of danger. I think in our spiritual lives, there's something very similar that can happen. We can grow spiritually and we can also stay in a place of no growth a place of complacency, a place of stagnation, and even a place of atrophy spiritually. And I think it would serve us well to regularly monitor our spiritual growth like we do our physical growth and to even have a little stronger, more panicky, if you will, reaction when we see in our lives that there is little to no spiritual growth. And here's the reason why. Spiritual growth not happening is every bit as dangerous as an infant or a child of any age not experiencing physical growth. But the question is, maybe some of you wonder this, is what is spiritual growth? Like even in your head right now, try to answer that. What is spiritual growth? Because there's a whole lot of you here, so there's probably a whole lot of ways that we would answer that. Maybe some of you would say, going to church regularly. That might be part of it, but there's an old saying. Some of, you knew that, some of you have heard this before. My dad used to say this all the time when we were growing up. He's like, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac any more than going to church makes you a Christian. I'm like, oh, okay, Dad. You know, so <laughs> I, guess, I guess there's that. And, and you might go, well, maybe, maybe it's memorizing, like, the Bible? Okay, that's probably part of it. But you know the thief on the cross that hung next to Jesus when Jesus was crucified scoffed at him in the beginning. And by the end, he said, actually, he changed his whole tune, and he said, you are the God of heaven, and Jesus said to him, you know what he said? You will be with me today in paradise. That guy didn't know a verse. He didn't know a verse to save his life. Knew Jesus, hanging next to him in that moment. Or maybe you say, well, is it spiritual maturity like doing more and more good deeds, Maybe even doing like supernatural work work that can't be explained apart from God being involved. You know, in Matthew 7, there's a time where Jesus says, in the end, there will be some who say to him, Lord, Lord. And his response will be to some, I never knew you. So even some that did things in his name, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Maybe you go, oh, is is it being generous? I mean, things like Irma and how we respond, is it doing that? Is it giving? Part of it. But you know the religious Pharisees of Jesus' day who were constantly criticized by him actually followed the law to the T. They were givers and yet they continued to be the example of what not to do as a follower of Jesus. So is spiritual growth maybe being a dog lover and a cat hater? Yes, that is the only one in all the list that is true. <laughs> it's found in 3rd Revelation, you can look that up. Actually, funny story. I was planning to say that all week, and then this morning I came in and I was informed that we found a kitten under the dumpster in the back. It's presently over in our video room, so spawn of Satan, it's over there. In this life, we know how to make a whole lot of things grow, don't we? We know how to make our muscles grow right? Micro tears, feed them, rest them, voila, biceps. We know how to make plants grow, nutrients, good soil, sun, water, voila, there they go. We even know how to make human beings grow. Like, think about that. We can grow human beings from conception to birth and beyond. We know how to make people. How do we make ourselves grow spiritually? Because that's an entirely different thing. And for all the things in this world that we know how to say, here's how you make it grow, I think that when it comes to our own spiritual lives, I don't think a lot of us know exactly what to do. Maybe bits and maybe pieces, but I think there's a lot of confusion. So over the next five weeks, what we want to do is we want to map out a course of how it is that we, as human beings, actually spiritually grow in our walk with God. And so a little bit of the next five weeks are going to be... So I I would say when I'm usually up here on stage, I'm a preacher, but I think the next five weeks are going to be a mix of preaching slash teaching, because there's just some aspects of what it looks like for us to grow in God that we need to teach through. And I'm only making the distinction because sometimes teaching can feel a little bit more like going to the gym. Nobody sits in the parking lot of the gym and they're like, man, I have got nothing better to do with my day to day than that. Maybe some of you do. But I have a Krispy Kreme in the parking lot with my gym, and every day I go to the gym, I drive by that Krispy Kreme, and I think, I would much rather eat a donut and take a nap in the back of my truck than do this. But when I walk out, I feel 100% different. When I walk out, I'm, I'm like, I'm so glad I just did that. I think what we need to talk about the next kind of five weeks is kind of going to be like that. It's going to be a little bit of going to the gym. There may be aspects of it where it's like, oh, this is... This is work, this is hard work to hear some of this, to think some of this, to process this, to step this way. But I'm telling you, in the end, muscles will grow. And, wh- and that's gonna be true for you whether you're nowhere on the spectrum right now. Like you would say, I'm not, I'm not even on the spectrum of following Jesus because I don't even know if there is a God. I'm not sure that Jesus is him. And you're like, I'm, not, I'm just kind of, I'm exploring it. I'm not even sure yet. Or maybe you're brand new to the journey, or maybe you've been doing this for years. I'm just telling you, the things we'll talk about the next couple of weeks, I think, will serve us regardless of where we are, because it has application for all of us. So let me start by showing you the graph that we've used. Some of you, hopefully, have this. Most of you should have it. You were handed it when you walked in this morning. This is the growth process that we've put together that... Somebody else may say it a little bit different. You may go to a different church, and they kind of use different words or do it. But it's hard to read through the Gospels and, and, honestly, the entirety of the Bible and not see this process unfold time and time again. That the process of growth ultimately involves these five stages. Believing in God, seeking God, knowing God, loving God, and obeying God. And that's going to make up literally the content of the next five weeks is believing Seeking, knowing, loving, and obeying. So anybody with me and agree that it would be to our benefit, it would be a good thing, you're hoping that our lives and our church goes through a growth spurt as a result of this. Anybody with me? Okay, good. Then, then help me speak this a little before I do the rest of it. Look at your row neighbor, somebody you came with or somebody you're just gonna meet for the first time. Look at them and say this, right? Say, it's time to grow up. Some of you like that a little bit more than you should have. All right, so I'm going to start where the whole thing starts. It begins with believing. Somewhere in our history of Christianity, the word believing believer became synonymous with follower or Christian. Like, hey, are you a believer? Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, good then, I guess. You know, it's like you a believer is a Christian. That's why at 10 years old, I listened to the song, I'm a Believer by the Monkeys, And I literally thought I uncovered a secret. I was like, I ch- they're Christians. I went to my dad. I was like, and I grew up in like this super like Baptist home. You, you couldn't listen to anything that wasn't Christian music. So I go to my dad. I was like, dad, I think the monkeys are Christians. He's like, stop listening to that pagan music, boy. And, and some of you are like, Who are the monkeys? (laughs) Look them up. You'll know them better from Shrek the movie. So here's the thing. I, I think believing is absolutely important, but I think it's what kind of believing we do that's critical. Because believing has different ways of working itself out. I want to give you two of them and hopefully you got an outline when you walked in this morning. This is something we're gonna to try to do more often here at Orient is provide outlines just to take notes on and follow along. So if you're gonna do that this morning and take notes, two kinds of believings. There's believing about and there's believing in. Believing about and believing in. When I met my wife Nicole in college, first day, first class, English 101, I walked in and I looked across the room and I thought, I want to get to know that girl there was a period of time where there were all kinds of things I believed about her. I believed that she was the prettiest girl in our school. I believed that she was way smarter than me after she failed me on a, an exam that we got paired up on. I believed that she had a smile and a laugh that could take over an entire room. I believed that she would be better off dating me than any other guy. I also believed that I probably didn't have a shot. There are all kinds of things that I believed about her, none of which meant that I actually knew her or had a relationship with her. So again, if you're taking notes, maybe write this one down underneath it. Here's really what the essence of believing about is. When you believe about a person, it's simply the awareness or the acknowledgement of their existence. That's what you're saying. You're like, "I, I acknowledge that you exist. I could do that for a long time with her and never have actually known her or been in a relationship with her. And then about a year after I first saw her and walked into that classroom, she worked up the courage to ask me out. She knew. Hey. Right? And then all of a sudden, the things that we believed about each other started to move into a belief in each other. And here's what I mean by that. Belief in, here's the difference. Belief in is a relationship defined at least by two things, trust and commitment, You think about any friendship that you have, if it's devoid either one of those, it's not a friendship or at least it's not a good friendship. So belief in is a relationship that possesses the qualities of trust and commitment. So there's your difference. And for some of you, you might be thinking I'm splitting hairs, so I'm going to show you a little bit of biblical precedent for this, that the support is a difference between this, particularly as it transcends into spiritual growth. So James, the brother of Jesus, once wrote this. I can jump to your screens for a minute. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. This is a pretty sobering verse when you think about it. James is saying that the demons believe that there's a God. And their belief is so strong that it creates a visceral reaction. Like, it's not just a head knowledge belief. Like, there is a visceral reaction. He says they shudder. Like, ugh. like, there is a reaction they have to this belief. I would suggest that the demons are not among the disciples and the followers, those who are fully devoted to Jesus Christ as Lord and King, though they believe. They believe about. They don't believe in. There's multiple places throughout the Bible where what Jesus calls us into is a belief in. I want to give you a couple of them. John chapter 6 is where we're going to go for a minute. John chapter 6 is a story of Jesus. Um, If you're familiar with this part of the Bible, he is just... Uh, done the miracle of feeding the 5,000. He has a conversation with a bunch of people that are following him, uh, many of which are following him because he's kind of the hot commodity of the time. He's doing miracles. He's doing signs. They want to be there. They want the front row seat. There's a lot of people there because they believe things about him, not necessarily believing in him yet. You're gonna see the difference. And, and here's part of the conversation that happens, even as Jesus kind of confronts them, like, hey, you're only here for what I can do for you. You're here to get tricks and and ponies and magic, and that's what you're here for. And so here's what he says. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So So he's kind of confronting him. Listen, you're not following me because of what the signs I can do say who I am. You're following me because I fed you. You just want more food. So so they actually ask a question back to him that's so significant. They say, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Now, this is where a whole lot of the Christian movement gets really wonky sometimes. Because we try to answer it with behavioral adjustments, self-righteousness, do this, do this, do this, lists of things. And so what Jesus does in answering this is critical. He simply says back, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. 1 John, or rather John chapter 1, verse 12 Again, another place where we see the importance of this. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, believed in, see it again? He gave the right to become children of God. It's the believing in that creates the family. And one more, Hebrews chapter 3. And this, not chapter 3, Hebrews. This, This one I love particularly because it's going to start to link us into next week, which is the seeking. Hebrews says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly, what? Earnestly seek him. This is where we're going to go next week, is the aspect of seeking. What, What does that mean, and what part does that play in our spiritual journey? But this begins to lay out the idea of what spiritual growth ultimately is. It is moving from belief about to belief in. It's where you take your belief about God, and you begin to move towards a belief in him that's defined by doing what we just read in Hebrews, you're starting to seek him. You're starting to move towards him. And as you move towards him more and more and closer and closer, you find that your affections are being aroused and stirred up for God. And as that happens and you continue to grow in that relationship, you start to look more and more like him. That's ultimately spiritual growth. Now, the the question is, how do we do that? And we're gonna talk all series long about that, but that's the picture. And it's not any, like, process unfamiliar to any relationship, right? Like I think about even Nicole, like I had belief about her that moved to belief in her as I sought her, right? I pursued her. And so those beliefs started to change to more of a relationship instead of just something I knew about her. And then as I got closer and closer to her, I fell more and more in love with her. And then they say the longer you're with a person, the more you start to look like them. You act like them, you dress like them, you talk like them. There's just a familiarity that you develop. That's spiritual growth as well. Where our belief about God turns into a belief in God, the result of us pursuing him, seeking him again and over and over and over, that develops affection for him, that then grows into ultimately us looking more and more like him. And some of you might go, okay, well, I I wanna grow. I'm not sure I am. And I would say a couple of things. Number one, remember that spiritual growth, just like physical growth, is incremental. Like, I, there was this point in life where I hit a growth spurt. I was like this tiny little dude, and I'm still like, when I stand next to my son, I don't feel like I'm very tall at all. The worst is standing next to your own kid brushing your teeth in the mirror, and you're like, <laughs> why, God? Why? <laughs> But, I, but when I was, like, in junior high, like, I was a puny little dude. And there's this guy that was always, like, fighting me and beating up on me. I'd run home from school. And then something happened over the summer between, like, like, middle school and high school where I just hit a growth spurt. And I remember coming, and I didn't realize it until I came back to school. And here came that little punk, and he was, like, here. I was, like, whoa, something happened. He never picked on me again. But you know how sometimes people will say, like, oh, you're growing so much. And you're, like, I am? because you don't see it, right? It's incremental. Growth happens in one little move after a little move. Spiritual growth is the same way. Sometimes we have a tendency to go, I don't think I am spiritually growing. Sometimes that's because you just don't realize that it's an incremental step after a step after a step. Matter of fact, again, on the screens, I want you to see how the Apostle Paul once described growth as an incremental movement forward. This is what he wrote to the Corinthian church. From this time, many of us, nope, not this one. I actually this is my bad guys I jumped ahead. Should be Corinthians. See I'm so excited I'm messing them up back there. 2 Corinthians 3:18. Okay, so Paul says that our growth is from one degree to the next. From one degree to a degree. And I love that because what he's saying is we literally grow from degree to degree to degree to degree. You would never expect to walk into the gym and walk out looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And if you tried to do that, if you went in there and you're like, in this workout, I'm going to be Mr. America. By the time you leave, you're going to be on crutches with three people helping get to your car, and you're going to spend the next month in an Epsom salt bath. Like, it's just not going to work. It doesn't happen that way. Now, one of the things that's so interesting, and this is where we'll go back to the passage they just had up, is that one of the things we see about Peter Who's interesting that we are using him or that we chose to go this direction with Peter because Peter, again, he's a guy that knew all kinds of spiritual immaturity. There were moments where his belief was about, but there's actually a record of a moment that indicates that his belief about definitely shifted to a belief in. So if you go back, same, same passage, John chapter six, th- this whole conversation continues to unfold with Jesus and these people. He's like, Yeah, hey, you're only here because you saw the signs and the miracles. And there's one point where the people say back to him, Ah, we're done. Like, who can, who can do anything this guy's talking about? Your words are too hard. We don't want to hear it anymore. And so they bail. And this is literally what happens. Verse 66 of chapter 6 of John. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. You ever just thought about that? Like, Jesus had a whole bunch of people that bailed on him. You ever said this to yourself? If I could have just been there with him, it would be different, it be so much easier. If I could just physically see him, hear his voice, there was a whole lot of people that did and they still bailed on him because it takes our commitment to say, I'm gonna continue to pursue you and seek you and let you rouse my affection for you. So a whole bunch of people leave and Jesus turns to his disciples. From this day on, many disciples turned back and no longer followed. You do not wanna leave too, do you? He asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know, again, knowing is going to be another part of this series, that you are the Holy One of God. I don't think that shift happened in this moment. I think this moment and the record of it, it it indicates, it reveals to us that there was a shift at some point that happened to Peter, but there's clearly a shift for Peter. There was a point when Jesus first appeared to him and said, hey, follow me. He's like, you're a rabbi, you're a teacher. I'm trying to figure all this out. There was belief about, but somewhere along the way, clearly indicated by this moment, Peter's belief about became a belief in, became a relationship, became an awareness that you are more than just a man. And so I'm going to pursue you with everything I've got, even when others leave. I think one of the most important things about spiritual growth is knowing how to assess where we're at one of the things that we'll talk about throughout this series is the paradox that you don't actually make yourself grow. In the book of John, chapter 15, there's a visual that Jesus creates in the story of vines and branches where he is the vine and we're the branch. And he says, if you as a branch stay attached to the vine, you'll bear fruit. So the growth that happens, it happens as a result of staying close to him. He does it. Even in another place in the Bible, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not the fruit of me trying harder. Not the fruit of you getting it right. Not the fruit of you doing better. So what's interesting is there's actually a paradoxical reality to growth, which is God does the growing. You're like, okay, well, I guess series is done. What do we do? Well, I think what we do is we prepare the soil where the growth can happen. Anything that grows only grows in a healthy environment, in healthy ground, in healthy soil. So I want to read you one more passage. This is Jesus once talking about, I think, an analogy that really is reflective of our own spiritual growth, how it happens, and what it means to consider the condition of our lives being soil. Chapter 13, the book of Matthew. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood at the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and they ate it up. And some fell in the rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. And still, other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop—160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came to him and asked him, "Why do you speak to the people in parables?" This is this is one of my favorite parables because it's one of the few that Jesus actually explains later on. So, if you continue to read this passage, there's a point where he pulls his disciples aside and he says, "All right." I'll break it down and I'm gonna explain the parable to you. So I wanna do that for a minute. I wanna explain the parable to you and how it relates to our lives and particularly to the aspect of spiritual growth. So Jesus gives these four different conditions of soil. And the soil are representative of us. It's our lives. It's our ability, willingness, capacity to receive seed, so to receive him, what he's trying to do in our life. And he starts off with the soil that he describes as ground that is flat or kind of a path, if you will, beat down ground. Here's how I want to describe beat down ground. It's idle growth. Beat down ground or flat ground is idle growth. So think about birds, like when birds come to land and feed anywhere, they will not do it. no matter how big the pile of seed is. If there's any activity, people are running, people are walking, people are sitting nearby, they won't do it. That's why even uh, you know, an inanimate thing like a scarecrow can, can deter birds from coming into fields. If there's any sense of present activity, they won't land. But you throw seed on ground that's undisturbed and they'll land there and eat the seed all day long. The only way that that happens, spiritually, is if there is no effort whatsoever on our part to grow. That's what hard ground is. It's idle growth. It's having no effort whatsoever What Jesus would describe in part later on when he broke down the story to his disciples is that the birds, he said, represented Satan and his work to swoop in and steal the work God's trying to do in your life. The only way the enemy can do that, like a bird on ground, is when there's no activity to scare him off. When there's something, at least anything, even a degree of movement that says, I am trying to seek you, I want to know you more, that becomes in many ways a deterrent to the enemy. Matter of fact, there's a quote I'm gonna put up on your screen right now, uh, Dallas Willard, who is an author and a theologian, once said this about growth. Most people do not become fully devoted and transformed followers of Jesus because they do not intend to. I mean, it's, that's simple. Because they don't intend to. So I have, uh, I have a friend who attends here, Seth Stark, up here in the front row every week, I'm calling you out. Sorry, I should ask permission, but I'm not gonna. So Seth is a, uh, he's, a he's a beast of a human being. He did, what was a couple weeks ago, you did um, an Ironman? Yeah? And then he decided like anybody would the next weekend to do another one. So he, uh, a couple months ago, Seth was like, hey, I'm training for this Ironman. You should like totally train with me. It's like, nope, <laughs> not gonna do that. And I can promise you, I will never run an Ironman, bike an Ironman, swim an Ironman with Seth for one reason. I do not intend to. That's it. I will not accidentally one day be like, how am I running an Ironman? Nope, not going to happen. I have no intention to do it. You put me on a bike on a downhill course so I can break bones all day long. That, I have no interest in doing that. And the reality is some of us are not experiencing spiritual growth because we haven't set our mind to it that we want to. You're just going through religious motions, but you haven't actually determined in your mind, I want to grow. I don't want to just be where I'm at anymore. I want to move further, deeper in with who Jesus is and what he has for me. I also just want to point this one out about this particular path, because this is flat ground. And flat ground or a path only happens, like how does a path get formed? It gets trampled on. It gets walked over. Again, and again, and again. Sometimes, this, and I've seen this true in my own life. There have been moments I haven't wanted to grow, and the reason is I have developed a spiritual apathy as a result of my emotional exhaustion. Because life or relationships have just worn me down. And the irony is that in those moments, what we tend to do is pull back from the only place that will actually replenish us. Because in our exhaustion, we just shut down. And the reality is the only place to change that exhaustion is to tap into the one who is described all throughout scripture as living water. And so I just, if some of you, maybe you're even going, I, I do feel like I'm idle growth. And man, I feel like I'm out of growth. Because I just feel like life has been walking over me. I just want to encourage you, do not believe the lie from others, from the enemy something whispered into your ear or your mind, that the best way to deal with your emotional exhaustion is to pull back from God. You will actually quadruple the harm you're doing to yourself from your exhaustion. But Jesus gives us other ground as well. A couple more. There's rocky ground, which we're going to define as shallow growth. One of the one of the things that always irritates me about biking, mountain biking particularly, which is what I love to do, but any kind of biking, is when people have their seats set too low. Because Seth, you would know this, right? When your seat's too low, you don't get the full range of motion when your leg goes down. You only get partial motion. And so what you're robbing yourself of is the full potential for the energy available to you in every stroke. When you pedal, here's a here's lesson for all of you. Go raise your seats because when you pedal, your leg should be, when it's all the way down, should be just a slight bend in the knee. should be almost fully extended. I watch so many people, like they're like, this is what their leg does the whole time. I'm like, dude, get your seat up. It's like you are robbing yourself of so much more power in your stroke because of minimal movement. Some of us try to grow this way spiritually, minimal movement. We're we're neglecting the full range of emotion, and we're just kind of shallow in our pursuit of God. And then we wonder, well, why don't I feel him? Why am I not growing? Because you're barely stroking. Like, you're just kind of only going down and then back up. It's just super shallow, and that's what he says about this ground. There's rocks, and so the roots don't go deep, and so there's a shallowness, and when anything comes... It just snatches it right away. Shallow growth is where it's more about emotional than relational pursuit of who God is. So this is where you, you come to church and you feel the excitement on a Sunday that turns back into the normal Monday. Or you join a small group, but you don't come very often, and then you just kind of fizzle out of it. Or you, you join a team to want to get plugged in and involved, but you never show up. Or you only pray when you need something. Like, this is, this is kind of like the spirituality where we read the syllabus to see how little do I have to do to still pass a class. And I'm just telling you, if that's your pursuit, not only will you not grow, but what Jesus says is it won't take much to knock you over. It won't take much to rob you of what it is he is trying to do in your life. And then there's this other ground that he calls thorny ground. And I want to call this one divided growth. Think like divided loyalty So one of the things he says about this ground that's really interesting is he says, the weeds grew up. Now, here's what's interesting about language. In the past one, the rocky ground, he says, because there's no depth, everything, the the seed sprung up very quickly. But this one, he says, the weeds grew up. Grew up, sprung up. Those are two different words with two different meanings. The word sprung up is almost like it just came out of nowhere. Grew up means that there was actually attention given to the condition so that it could grow and thrive. In other words, this is the kind of spiritual pursuit of Jesus where we are divided between him and lesser things. Where there are weeds growing up in our life that are... Maybe an addiction, maybe a habit, maybe a bad attitude, maybe it's, maybe it's not even things that are quote-unquote bad, they're just lesser pursuits where all your focus is you and your career or a relationship you've got to get into or your body image or just something else that seems to swoop in and create a divided heart that, yeah, I'm about Jesus, but I'm also really about this, and when they collide, the this usually wins, And I would just contend that there are probably things in all of our lives right now, mine included, that are the weeds that are trying to choke out the work that God's doing. And that if you want to spiritually grow, part of what we've got to do is identify those weeds and start to pull them out so that we can make room for the work that God's trying to do. But then he gives this last ground because those aren't the only three. And the last ground, he simply calls good soil. So we're going to call it good ground. And here's how I want to define it intentional growth. This is the growth where you set your mind to it, like anything else. You're not gonna grow plants, you're not gonna grow muscles. you're not gonna grow anything in this world without dedicated, intentional effort. That's what this growth is. And I just, I just wanna tell you, at the end of the day, whether or not you're growing is not Kensington's responsibility. Whether or not you're growing... Is not my responsibility. If you're like, I'm not growing here, the teaching's not deep enough. That's not my responsibility. That's not my fault. It might be Sam Anderson's fault if you're not growing. We'll blame him. He's at CT today. If if you're not growing, it's, it's not the fault of somebody that you trusted who is another Christian or maybe a spiritual leader that messed it up, fell out of the way, hurt you, betrayed you. Your spiritual growth is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. That doesn't mean that we're not here to help and be a part of that process. That doesn't mean that you don't help me grow. You do. That doesn't mean that as a community, we're not encouraging one another growth. We do. But at the end of the day, spiritual growth is your responsibility. And I pray that we won't be like the people who don't grow simply because they just don't intend to and they give no effort to it. One of the reasons why this is so important is because as we take care and tend to the soil that is our life, and the degree to which we do determines the degree and the strength which our roots will grow. Ultimately, spiritual growth produces fruit, but never mistake this, roots matter before fruit. Roots matter before fruit then you and I are the people responsible to take care of the soil where the roots can grow. And when they do, let me give you one more verse. Jeremiah, the Old Testament. This is what we're told about the strength of our roots and their importance. Jeremiah 17, chapter seven says this. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water. That trust in would be the same idea as believe in. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots to the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Root precedes fruit. And the better you tend to the soil that is your life, like which one are you? Just be honest with yourself. Which of the soils do you feel like you are right now? Because the better we tend to the soil the more opportunity we give for God to do his good work of growing the roots in that soil. Let me give you one last visual. So a couple years ago, my wife and I had this tree. It's a silver maple. Silver maples are some of the most aggressive trees. The root systems get ridiculously strong. This thing was pushing up my driveway. It was literally where the slab of my driveway met the slab of my garage. It was a four-inch difference. It was destroying my sewer system. Like it, was, it was a nightmare. Here's a picture of the tree that we had to take down. It was a beautiful tree. I hated it because it was so healthy. It was gorgeous. So this is a tree right outside. I mean, that thing is a beast of a tree, and we ended up having to take it down. And it took five men, three days, and a whole mess of machinery to get it down. And here's the reason why so much effort had to go into taking that thing down. Next picture. There's a picture of the root system that was growing just one section of it under my driveway. Yeah, but pictures, pictures fail to do real justice. So I actually, do we have it? Oh, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be a beast of a man and just bring it out, aren't you? Yeah, this looks like the limb of a tree. This is the root. And this was literally only the section that spanned my driveway that I ended up having to pull out so that we could relay new cement. Here's, here's why spiritual growth is so important because you can have one of two kinds of roots. This one, or if you're not tending to the soil that is your life, here's the reality. It's going to take a lot of effort. This is what some of our lives end up looking like spiritually. where whether it's the storms that come, a relationship that falls apart, a discouragement, a diagnosis, or something happens in life unexpected and suddenly we're uprooted. I've, I've had moments like this. And this is the thing about soil. You're not always the same kind of soil. If you stop tending to that soil, good soil can go right back to thorny soil or rocky soil. And I've had moments where my roots were just way too shallow. What I want in my pursuit of Jesus is a root system that looks like this, that takes five men, three days, and a mess of machinery to get out of the ground. Or even better, as Jesus said to us in Jeremiah, can never be shaken, always bears fruit, and always is green. So the next couple of weeks, that's our task. How do we grow? Why do we grow? And what does God do in the process of all of it? So Father, I'm just thankful that you are good to us to not just leave us to an awareness of you, but to invite us into a relationship with you. So do your good work to teach us over the next couple of weeks, including this morning, about the importance and the beauty and the joy and the strength of growing in our affection for you, our relationship with you, and our dedication to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one simple prayer, four words. I just want you to pray it every time you think about it this week, and it's gonna set us into the right mindset for this whole series. More of you, less of me. Say it with me. More of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. God, that's our prayer, is that as we journey through this series, you would make our lives more about you, less about us, because somehow, The reality is, as paradox as it seems, that's where life is really found. So grow us, I pray, Jesus. We'll do the work of the soil. You do the work of the growing. In Jesus' name, amen. If we can pray for you and love on you before you leave this morning, listen to you, talk with you. We've got a prayer team, some of which will be up here at the front. There'll also be some at the table out there. Don't forget the raffle. We'd love to have you participate in that and possibly win. A birthday paid for us, for one of your kids. Have a great rest of the day. We'll see you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.